0: Always a good start when the uh, pastor puts the Bible down saying, We don't need that yet. <laughs> it's a good start. <laughs> uh, this morning we are going to continue in John chapter 9. Uh, Nathan kicked us off last week, so we're just going to continue with that narrative today. So if you want to go ahead and turn to John chapter 9, uh, I would ask that you would follow along this morning. Uh, there's going to be aspects of the story that we are not going to directly read. Uh, But I would encourage you to either read later, or if you'd like, you're welcome to even read while I'm talking. It doesn't offend me, um, because we believe here at this particular church that the power comes from the Word, not necessarily what the guy up here on stage is saying, okay? We put weight on the Word and what God says, okay? So, like I said, please turn to John chapter 9 so you can follow along. Um, This morning, like I said, we are going to be uh, continuing the story from last week, which is where Jesus healed the blind man, and uh, it was a great opportunity for him to do a teaching with the disciples, and then in turn, teach us, even to today, um, to maybe put aside some of the old myths that the disciples had, talking about how sin had caused him to be blind, Um, either him his sin specifically or you know past generations of sin caused this affliction and you know if you remember uh, like i said again nathan kind of talked about this last week where you know affliction doesn't always necessarily mean sin sometimes it is just uh knowing that we actually live in a broken world and that's just that's just how it is sometimes Um, And this is what Jesus had the opportunity to kind of teach uh, using this man. He says, you know, this affliction was not caused by sin, but so God could have glory, right? And, you know, thank God that even today he is still getting glory, because here we are, you know, thousands of years later, and we're still reading about this man and still learning from it, okay? So thank God for that. Uh, But as we'll read in the scene, uh, Jesus' involvement is not over, as you can see later on, he uh, comes back and starts talking about um, blindness and start talking to the Pharisees about that. But there's a few different characters as you're reading through uh, chapter 9 that are introduced, one of them being the Pharisees, the other one is actually the blind man's family. Um, They're introduced in this particular story, and uh, they are... (laughs) Interrogated uh, throughout the chapter um, about whether the man was actually blind or not. Everything we'll talk about it here in just a moment. So, just some characters to keep in mind as you are going through this. Um, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, so we have the blind man, right? We have his family, and then we have the Pharisees. Those are the big groups of people to, to really kind of follow through the rest of chapter nine. Now, there is an overarching theme that actually has nothing to do with the man's physical blindness. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And what we're going to be talking about is the concept of spiritual blindness. Okay? Spiritual blindness. That's going to be our topic. Uh, It's going to be really fun. You're going to enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> so to, to get started, we're, we're going to start with just a little bit of a, uh, a confession, okay? That's what we're going to start with. It's always a good way to start a sermon. We're going to start with a confession, and I think it's, it's only fair that I be the vulnerable one, but it, it, I'm really drawing and trying to pull all the men in the room to be vulnerable with me, okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, okay, we're, it, it's time for us to admit this, especially to the ladies, in our in our life okay they need to know this man vision is a real thing it's a condition and we're all born with it okay um i can't help it sarah i didn't see the extra jar of peanut butter in the pantry it it wasn't there i don't know how you do it you walk up she opens the door and things just appear they weren't there before i swear they were not there okay you know how many times i've told sarah i'm like hey I'm just, I'm not gonna take the time to look for this. It's in this room somewhere. You just tell me where it is. Okay? It's like, we can't help it, guys. And it, we have to admit this. We all know it, all right? And you know, there's probably guys sitting here right now that are even thinking to themselves, because hey, you're unwilling to admit that you actually suffer from man vision, and you actually have it. Here's what you're thinking to yourself right now. It's like, no, my kids or my wife are moving my stuff. Amen. Right? <laughs> that, that's actually what you're thinking. They're not moving it, guys. <laughs> They're not moving it. Okay? You, I only hope that I come to a point in my life when I can find my 10 millimeter socket and it doesn't take me an hour. <laughs> or, or or two. Thank you. <laughs> I'm learning things even today. <laughs> or a wrench. It, it's always a tool, isn't it? It's like this job wouldn't have been done an hour ago. But the difference is, unlike other guys, I can admit it. I can admit and say, man vision is a real thing, and I suffer from it. Because sometimes just simply being able to admit that you are blind to something is enough. Sometimes just being able to say... That's something I struggle with. And just like this man, I need grace for my wife. But we, we struggle to admit things like this, right? We struggle to admit our blind spots. We struggle to admit when there's things that we either suffer from or things that are afflicting us or things that are maybe sinful in our lives some things, ways that we are missing the mark, everything like that. I can't admit to that though. Or even go so, far to, go so far to say that you are actually totally blind to it. It's not even something you're willing to acknowledge or even think that there's anything to acknowledge to begin with. But it all starts with being able to admit it. I understand my flaw, I understand the depths of my corruptedness, my, my, my sinful nature, I understand that maybe there's even good things that I try to do in this life, but you know what, the, the, the root of it all is still pride and self-service. And you just keep digging and keep digging and find just, man, that next thing that, man, I thought I was okay with. No, actually, the root cause of that, the reason why I did all of that was because of this. And actually, that's sinful. And you just keep seeing it and keep seeing it and keep seeing it. And it just keeps being revealed to you. and keeps being revealed to you. And we have a fancy word for this. It's called Conviction and so we're thinking about spiritual blindness, we've got to understand that conviction is part of this. This entire process that we're going to be talking about this morning. Because just like if we remember a few chapters ago, whenever Jesus fed the 5,000, it was a miracle. It was, it was just miraculous, right? That this guy was able to grab the fish in the basket and just like, make all the fish and feed everybody. It was just like, oh... No words could really describe what happened. But it was not about being able to feed 5,000 people that day. The underlying message that Jesus was trying to teach us through that is that we're spiritually hungry. And there's actually only one thing that satisfies us, and that's him. So in the same sense, yes, it's a miracle that this guy was able to get his sight back. But we have to look deeper than that. And what Jesus is trying to teach us, his disciples, is that we're spiritually blind and we need him to open our eyes. I want to reread one of the verses real quick. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. When we talk about spiritual blindness, there's a flip to that coin and there's the other side that we need to we need to actually kind of talk about a little bit deeper here it says if you were blind as Jesus was saying if, it's a question right, is what we're kind of thinking right if meaning that there's the potential that you're not so if we have to accept the fact that spiritual blindness exists, we have to accept the fact that the other side of that is that spiritual sight exists And if spiritual sight exists, being the opposite, that has to be the goal. That has to be what we have to attain, right? And shoot for is spiritual sight. So we're going to focus on that for a little bit here. Unless you put no weight on the Bible, if you put no weight on the word that is in these pages right here you understand that this is the word from god right and the entire old testament was written by a group of people that we lovingly refer to as prophets right that's the word we use prophets And the entire concept of a prophet was somebody that would speak for the Lord, right? This idea of thus says the Lord. It's not them saying it. It's God using them as a vessel to give us the message, okay? So we understand that the Old Testament written by prophets was therefore the word of God. And if that's true... There has to be something about a prophet. has to be something about that person that had some intimate, close relationship with God that maybe some of us don't. Does that make them perfect? No, absolutely not. Don't hear that. But there was something about their relationship that allowed them to say, thus says the Lord, and be able to speak for him, right? Can we get there? All right. So there's a story in 1 Samuel. And does everyone remember a very famous character in the Old Testament, Saul, right? Big guy, didn't like David very much. Okay, Saul. All right. So there's a story in 1 Samuel whenever he is going uh, in search of his father's lost donkeys. And he brings his bros with him, right? this just sounds like the start of any cool story, right? Like, we're going to go find some donkeys, but he brings his buddies along, and they're trying to find him. They can't find him anywhere. They finally come upon a village, and he learns that this village has a prophet in this village. Okay? And then we get to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9. Okay, and I think we have that up. Yep, all right. So chapter nine, verse nine, and this is what it says. And just real quick, what the author is doing right here, he's telling the story, okay, and then he makes this turn. And now all of a sudden, instead of telling the story, he's speaking directly to the reader. He goes, hey, this is something you need to know. This is something you need to understand, okay? And he says, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go to the seer. To the seer, okay? For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. Interesting, right? So whenever they would go and inquire of God, what that means is I need to find somebody that has a divine perspective on life, okay? I need to inquire of this man because I know that the the message I'm going to receive from him Is going to be divine. It's going to be from God. Therefore, that's why I would seek them out. Okay? But before they were actually called a prophet, they used the term and called them a seer. Right? By definition, what that means is, that means this person of God saw things differently. They would see the world different than you. And in addition to that, their job was to help you see the world differently was to help you have a different perspective help you turn from how you're thinking now and start thinking how God thinks there's another fancy word here we call it repentance to see things differently to change how you view it to change your mind it's repentance and that's what they would do. The prophets and the seers would help you in that process. It's only interesting that later on in John chapter 9, as we will read, the man who had received his sight from Jesus, he was healed from Jesus, and at that point had not actually seen Jesus yet, right? He had went, he washed his eyes, and had actually not laid eyes on Jesus yet, and the, uh, the Pharisees were sitting here And just interrogating him, interrogating his family, saying, like, were you actually blind? Be honest. Are you actually blind? He goes, Yes, I'm blind. He goes, Were you blind? Yes, I'm blind. And we'd go through that like five different times. And eventually they'd go to his parents, like, was he actually born blind? Like, yes, he was actually born blind. They just wouldn't believe him, wouldn't believe him. And then finally they cornered him and said, Okay, fine, let's say you were blind and now you see. Who do you say this man is? And how does he respond? he responds to the uh, Pharisees that are interrogating him and said, I believe him to be a prophet. Never really met Jesus at that point. Never saw him, but perceived him to be a prophet or a seer. Someone that helps you see things differently. Now, in that particular case, obviously, it was physical sight. But it's, it's too good not to make that connection. But this is what Jesus is doing for us. He's helping us see things differently, to give us a spiritual sight, to show us what we're missing. And that's just one aspect. When we talk about spiritual sight in general, that's just one aspect of being able to see the world differently, to be able to have a, a perspective and a perception outside of yourself as the spirit would lead. I think it's interesting that these stories are riddled with these themes that we have in turn give like these million dollar words, right? We have conviction, we have repentance. And now there's a new one here, right? We're trying to see things different. We're trying to perceive things differently from a divine perspective through the spirit. The next million dollar word here, discernment. We call it discernment. And even if you aren't necessarily what we'd call a spiritual person, right? You're not, you're not a spiritual person. You're not into the, the voodoo things that you guys are talking about. Let's say you're one of those kind of people. You understand that there are things outside of senses that maybe sometimes we can't explain. You can get there right? It's hard to put words to it. E- even plants have like this weird sense, right? Have you ever put a plant next to a window and, tried to make, and and watched it grow? Which direction does it grow? Towards the window, right? It'll grow towards the light. Does a plant have eyes? Can it see the light? The a dumb question. No. If your plant has eyes, throw it away. <laughs> but there's something about it. It can sense where that light is, right? Or even us, humans, animals, right, all of us, we all have the five senses. And, you know, with, with our five senses, that's how we relate to our universe. That's how we understand when something is real, right? I can touch the speaker, therefore it is real to me, right? I can taste it, but I'm not going to, Right? You, but I can see it, I can hear it whenever there's sound coming out of it, all of that kind of stuff, right? We relate to our universe and understand if something is real or not by those five senses. But we are not limited by those five senses. And again, this is something Nathan kind of touched on a little bit last week. We understand, like, do you believe in a right and a wrong? You believe in a right and a wrong. You believe in justice, right? There's a justice. We would call this a moral sense right that's the loving term I guess you could put to it we have a moral sense we have a moral compass so to speak even, even animals have a sense outside of those five senses they call it a survival instinct right so we understand that there's something outside of those five senses you can get there It's extra. We're going to keep going with this. One more more little story. Let's say that you're a person and you don't like wearing a seatbelt. Or you know someone that doesn't like to wear a seatbelt. One of the two. Okay? So you understand you're wrong. (laughs) No, but, but seriously, so you, you're that kind of person, right? You get in a car, maybe you take the seatbelt and you put it behind you, right? And you clip it in, so that way the beeping stops because it's really annoying. That's my dad, by the way. He just, oh. It's like, I put my seatbelt on because the beeping's annoying. I'm like, yeah, that, that's a great reason to put your seatbelt on. I'm, I'm cool with that. You do that. Um, so, but let's say you, you don't like wearing your seatbelt, all right? But you get a call that a close friend of yours or a child that you know was in a terrible car accident. So you go to the hospital to visit them. You know, they're 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 gonna live, but they're pretty beat up. Henceforth, you go out, you go to the parking lot to go home, and you're gonna put the seatbelt behind you, and you stop. Like, hmm. Stop. Go ahead and put your seatbelt on. From then on, you keep putting your seatbelt on. Something changed, right? Did your information change? No. It's pretty statistically well known that putting your seatbelt on is safer in a car. Okay? But that's just statistically pretty well known. If you put your seatbelt on, you're more likely to live in a car accident. Your information has not changed. Okay? Has your, has your sight changed? No. Unless you're a man. It's always been there. <laughs> the seatbelt did not move. Right? All of a sudden, a seatbelt didn't appear in your car. It's always been there. So on and so you're getting the concept here, right? What changed? Something made the idea that you need to wear your seatbelt real to you. This is where we get the term a realization. Or you realize something. Have you ever had a realization? Has there ever been something that's been told to you over and over and over, but there's something that changed, something that made it click, right, is the word And you came to the realization that now I should wear my seatbelt. There was nothing in your five senses that got you there. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us with the spiritual sight. Is that don't focus on your five senses in order to define reality. There's something outside of that. There's something deeper. There's something bigger. And he's trying to speak to you through it. He's trying to make it real to you. You all know maybe you know somebody that like they've read a parable over and over and over, or a certain scripture maybe you've read over and over, and then it's like that 80th time you've read that verse, it's like, I get it. I get it. That's the spirit trying to speak to you, trying to get your attention. He's making it real for you. He's making it real for you. There's, like I said, there's other aspects of spiritual sight. And some of that, like I said, is that discernment Some of that is that idea that he can just, he's speaking to you through his word, right? To make the word come alive to you so that way it's real to you, right? But let's circle back around to this idea of of your sin and your sin being made real to you and the depth of what that is. See, because I think some of us get in this kind of trap that you commit a sin. You kind of miss the mark a little bit and you simply kind of look at this and be like, oh, I feel so bad for this one thing that I did. Lord, please forgive me for this one thing and I'll never do this one thing again. So please stop it so I stop doing this one thing. Not realizing that you're limiting your guilt and because you limit your guilt, you're limiting grace. Understanding that is not just one sin, that's just an aspect of it. You have no idea how deep the rabbit hole go in your corrupted soul. So you ask the Lord, it's like, continue to reveal to me my sin. There's an author from like 300 years ago, John Bunyan. Has anyone ever heard of John Bunyan? Okay, not Paul Bunyan. That's the big guy with the axe. Okay, John Bunyan. All right. Can we bring up that slide with that quote, please? So this is from a book that he read, uh, that he wrote. Sorry. It says, "Grace abounding for the deepest of sinners." And this is just really, really interesting. Sin and corruption would, as naturally, bubble out of my heart as water would bubble out of a fountain. I now thought that everyone had a better heart than I had. I would have changed hearts with anybody. I thought none but the devil himself could equal me for inward wickedness and pollution of mind. I fell deep into despair, therefore, at the sight of my own vileness. John Bunyan is probably one of the greatest theologians and preachers we have seen in this millennia. And this is how he felt toward his own sin. Now, don't, don't all of a sudden start to feel super like guilty or anything like that, because we'll get there here in a second. But he understood the depth of corruption of the human soul. And this is another aspect of spiritual sight, of being able to see how far sin goes and what you are capable of deep down. This is your brokenness. This is your brokenness. But we can't stay there. Because spiritual sight, there's aspects of it for sure, but it always has two aspects. Always, it always starts with these two. One is spiritual sight for your sin, and the other is spiritual sight of grace. Always, always. And the danger, the danger of having one and not the other is, I would hope, very apparent. If you are stuck in a place where you have great sight, great spiritual sight of how deep your sin goes, you're gonna be in perpetual guilt. This, This quote that we just read from John Bunyan, it's like, what if you were there all the time? Like that sounds horrible, right? But you, but you have to understand it too. So that's why you have to have the other side. Like it always has to lead you to God's grace as well. But if you only have God's grace, if that's the only spiritual sight you have, that could lead to very, very prideful actions. Very dangerous actions. I'll be blunt. That's how cults start. You have to understand the depth of your sin and the depth of God's grace. Paul goes on to tell us when he was talking about a thorn in the flesh, right? There's a a phrase after that that is very helpful in this situation. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, speaking of Christ. He says, my grace is sufficient is sufficient for you. It doesn't matter how deep your sin goes. It doesn't matter how corrupt you think you are. Jesus hung on a cross and that sin was nailed to it. And that grace will cover all of it. Absolutely all of it. present and future sin all of it and the spiritual sight is not just seeing the sin on the cross but him raising three days later and the grace that comes with that that's spiritual sight and that's the spiritual blindness that so much of us are struggling with they're either blind or choosing not to see and one of them leads to grace In 1 Corinthians 2.11, it says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. There's a closeness that comes with all of your spiritual sight, that all, all of that has to come from the spirit of God. And if you want that, that spirit within you it has to start with conviction of sin, repentance and grace. Romans 8.16 the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Thank God that his spirit dwells within us and speaks to us and reminds you of his grace remind you no you are my child you think one little stumble is going to pluck you out of my hand my grace is sufficient for you you think you understand your sin he understands your sin more than you ever will You may be blind to sin in your life right now, but he sees all of it. All of it. All the things you're unwilling to admit. And Romans 5.8 tells us, even while you were a sinner, he died for you. And he sees how bad you are more than you ever will. That's the depth of his love and the depth of his grace. And that's what he's calling us to. Whenever he heals the blind man, it's not just about physically healing this man. He wants you to see who he is. Amen. That's what he's calling you to. So go back, read John 9 for yourself. Don't read a bit. Is the fact that Jesus can heal blind, a blind man in there? That he has the power to heal you of your ailment? Is that in there? Sure. there's so much more and it's so much deeper than that he's calling you to so much more outside of your senses but he still wants you to feel it like it's real I'm going to read the last part again 40 and 41 some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What do you mean there? We have to understand, being blind is not the problem. Being blind, your blindness is. (laughs) It sounds kind of silly when you say it out loud, but was true. It's not about being blind to your sin. It's not about, well, I just can't see that. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. That's not the problem. The problem is when you refuse to see it. The problem is when you choose to turn away instead of looking your sin dead in the eye and saying, I'm not afraid of you because because of the grace of Christ. When you refuse to accept the free gift, that's when your guilt remains. That's what Christ is trying to tell us all right now. It's like the guilt is not in your blindness, we're all blind to an extent. It's kind of like, you know, obviously I wear glasses, right? I wear glasses. But if I chose, back when my eyes really started to get bad, if I chose, you know what, I don't need these things. Meh. I don't need these things. I choose to never go to the doctor. I choose to stand up here and be like, you know what, you're all blurry. But I don't care. I'm unwilling to admit that you're blurry. You see where this is going. The only blindness that can't be healed is the one you're not willing to admit to. So let me ask you that this morning. Are you willing to admit your blindness? Are you willing to admit that maybe there are some things in your life that you are blind to? Let's do a quick little test. Let, let Let me just say this. Maybe you're one of those kind of people that you're sitting there right now and you've been telling yourself this entire time that, you know what, I, I just don't see it. I've, I've never struggled with spiritual blindness or whatever this guy's calling it. Like, I always feel like I've, I've got things under control. Like, I mean, I've read the Bible. I get it. Really. Really. Or are you willing to step in and be like, you know what, there are just things I don't know. There are things I'm blind to. There are things in my life that are maybe corrupted and I don't even know this. I don't even understand why. And this is how we respond to it. And we respond exactly how the blind man did. Jesus comes up to him later on and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man says, who is he? And Jesus says, you're looking at him. And what does he do? He says, I believe, and he worshiped him. Was his response, I now know it all. I understand the depth of every sin I've ever committed. I can see the future. Was that his response? No, his response was belief and worship. If you want spiritual sight, respond this morning in belief and worship. Respond by praying, Lord, open my eyes to what I don't know. Open my eyes to what I don't see as the worship team comes up. Open my eyes to the things that I need to see You gave me a sense of right or wrong. You gave me a sense of justice. You gave me a moral sense. Guide that, Lord, in your spirit. Show me what I'm missing. I'll take that now. (laughs) Show me what I'm missing. And then don't stay in that guilt. Understand the depth of your guilt equals the depth of your uh, the depth of his grace and respond in belief and worship